0: Welcome to season two of the Exploring the Core podcast. I'm your host, Greg Mullen. In this episode, I'll be sharing a conversation I had with Heather Abreu, a teacher and parent of two who has an amazing perspective for meeting her students where they're at. She does this by reflecting on herself and who she is as, as an individual in context of the communities she chooses to be a part of and the environments she creates. And with this perspective in mind, I'll be exploring the innermost layer of my framework which looks at personality. And when I talk about personality, some of you might think of the kind of online quizzes that compare you to a comic book character or or place you in a specific Hogwarts house. I'm a Hufflepuff. But there are also very elaborate personality assessments that get pretty deep into the kinds of thoughts and beliefs that reflect our personality. Well, when I return, I'm going to explore a well-researched framework for identifying specific traits of a personality and connected to education in a way that I believe solidifies its place at the core of my framework for who we are and how we learn. Classroom teachers often feel a lot of pressure to create an all-inclusive learning environment that is lively and engaging a space that's well organized with a sense of order and consistency, but also one that's flexible, imaginative, and promotes curiosity. And there also seems to be an expectation for it to have ample space for collaborative and energetic discourse while also serving as a quiet and focused workspace when needed. And this pressure teachers feel is very real. I've felt it in every classroom I've taught over the last decade. And for years I thought I was doing something wrong because I couldn't seem to strike that balance between all of these contrasting and at times contradicting expectations for my classroom environment. And so I'd have students who maybe were a bit more efficient and organized in their approach to things, while also have in that same group, those who were more easygoing with their thoughts and habits. And for every student who was more outgoing, friendly, and amenable to going along with things, There was one who was more detached or skeptical about the kind of collaborative learning environment I would try to create. Well, as it turns out, there's a reason why my classrooms ended up looking and feeling like it wasn't ever right for every student on my class roster. And why there seemed to always be a student or two who just didn't seem to be as productive as I wanted them to be in my classroom. And that's because the way I designed my classroom directly reflected my personality. And it just didn't gel with every student that walked into my room. Now, this doesn't mean I couldn't have ever reached those kiddos. But without being aware of it, I was trying to get them to adhere to a set of personality traits that simply didn't work for them. Now, the personality traits I'm going to be talking about are actually a psychological trait theory that's been around for decades. It's called the five factor model or the big five. Created back in the 1980s, it's based on a century of personality trait research. And this particular set of five traits has since been researched and replicated in a variety of contexts and disciplines with little discrepancy to its validity as a trait theory. And these traits are easy to remember since the five trait names form the acronym OCEAN, the O referring to our openness to new experiences and ranges from being inventive and curious to cautious and relatively close-minded toward new ideas. The next is conscientiousness, referring to our sense of organization and dependability, ranging from efficient thoroughness to easygoing carelessness. Then we have the trait extroversion, referring to our desire to socialize, and it ranges from our preference for being outgoing and energetic to reserved and solitary. The fourth trait is agreeableness, our willingness to go along with things and trust that people have our best interests in mind. This trait typically ranges from compassionate and pleasing to skeptical and confrontational. And the last trait, the N in ocean, refers to neuroticism, our predisposition to psychological stress. This trait looks at how we respond to situations with varying degrees of either confidence or anxiety, and it's unfortunate that this trait often has a negative connotation because to have zero of this trait is to have zero fear or concern, which can be just as dangerous as having too much fear and anxiety about the world. So all five traits together create a way of reflecting about ourselves as people. But as educators, it gives us a particularly fascinating insight into so many aspects of our roles in education. And there's a growing body of research from around the world that supports the use of this trait theory in education. For example, a 2011 study from a team at the University of Southern Mississippi showed a small but significant connection between the leadership and self-efficacy of a teacher and their level of openness and conscientiousness. A 2014 study out of Nigeria found strong correlation between these traits and a teacher's effectiveness. While another 2014 study out of the University of Novi Sad in Serbia showed how these traits also played a role in how students perceive the effectiveness of their teachers, with students of social and humanistic sciences favoring more extrovert, open, and conscientious teachers than students of technical and natural sciences. In fact, A study published just this year, in March of 2021, showed that these traits, specifically agreeableness and conscientiousness, have positive direct effects on online academic self-efficacy. Now, when people talk about these traits, it's critically important that we not see them as one or the other situations. A person is not an extrovert or an introvert. There's a range between the two extremes that most people fall somewhere between. So is there a benefit to being higher on one trait or another? No, and that's the point. Someone who has higher on one trait will simply have a tendency for certain ranges of different attributes than someone lower in that trait. And it has nothing to do with a person's capacity to think and feel and be. In fact, most introverted people can socialize just fine, and it can actually be hard to recognize them at a party or some other familiar or comfortable social gathering, but at some point, that person will need to recuperate, and how quickly and for how long will vary for each person. Plus, a person can be higher on the scale of extroversion and also higher for conscientiousness, and that kind of extroverted person would be different than someone who is also higher on the extroversion scale but lower on the conscientiousness scale. So when you think of all five traits, having these wide ranges of scale, it gives us an extremely wide range of possible combinations across all five traits. And that by reflecting on our own balances and ratios of these traits, we can start making some sense as to how, as educators, maybe instead of trying to create a classroom that can meet any possible personality combination for any student that walks into a room, maybe we create a baseline of clean and organized spaces and resources that you and your students can fill in as you learn about each other, about who they are and how they learn. Because once you know what your own balance of traits are, it's not like you can just walk into any classroom with 30 other people and just do school like you did every year before. Because honestly, The first week of conventional schooling has always been about icebreakers and name games, routines and procedures, and setting the tone of the classroom for the year to come. And a big reason for this is to help students get to know how you, as their teacher, want them to learn certain tasks, to learn where things are, to become accustomed to norms and traditions you have in mind, to make your job as their teacher more manageable. And that's a completely reasonable expectation. But when you start to reflect on how these norms and traditions are tr- are tied to your own preferences based on how extroverted, how open, how conscientious, how agreeable you are, and then think about the percentage of students that really just don't understand why things have to be done that way for them to learn the things you're asking them to learn, maybe that whole, well, they just have to do things they don't like approach to teaching is perhaps causing a lot of the challenging behaviors in students who are less agreeable, less open, or more conscientious with regards to who they are and how they learn. Now, for those that choose to explore this layer of personality traits, keep in mind that reflecting on these traits can help you to recognize and respond to challenges you face moving forward. But though it's, it's not going to do you any good to simply say someone else has a personality trait and therefore is or is not willing or able to learn. No. Recognizing and responding to challenges according to this layer of personality traits is meant to give you the insight to reflect on how you might actually have a tendency to react rather than respond and recognize whether a student or colleague has a tendency to need more time to think through a problem because maybe they're a bit more introverted and a lot of processing happens without them energetically talking out loud to other people about what they're working through. And I want to end this segment with why these personality traits are at the core of my framework. Because this layer influences every other layer in this framework. These traits influence our ranges of the six attributes I talk about in the last episode. And knowing how these traits influence those ranges of behaviors can help us identify the kinds of social emotional competencies we may need to develop in ourselves as well as our students. And from there, that can guide our understanding of values like responsibility, respect, and trust, which can give us the context we need to understand the larger elements that make up our learning environment, the structural relationships in our classroom, the governmental hierarchy for decision-making in both our classroom and on our school campus, and the norms and traditions of behaviors which we may be placing value on over others. But it's this innermost layer of this framework that places emphasis on knowing ourselves well enough to recognize in others the attributes that can cause the same behaviors to look different in different people. And so in context of school and learning, it's this layer that I believe gets at the core of who we are and how we learn. And so on that note, I'd like to shift now to the conversation I had with Heather Abreu. She and I talked about these kinds of personality traits and she shared with me some really inspiring, insightful thoughts about how and why in order to meet her students where they're at, she reflects on where she's at personally in context of the groups with which she intentionally chooses to gather as a teacher, as a parent, a friend, Colleague and community member. So stick around as I share my conversation with Heather Abreu. <music> Heather Abreu is a visual arts teacher in Denver, Colorado. And at the time of our chat, she was teaching remotely because of the pandemic, which does come up in how we reflect on a number of things in our conversation. Well, and that's what I was most interested in is her perspective towards self-reflection and not just with the kinds of personality traits we get into, but the impact this kind of self-reflection can have on how we see our role as educators. Now, prior to our chat, we both agreed to take three personality tests on truity.com, the five-factor personality test, the Myers-Briggs 16 types assessment, and the Enneagram test. We also both agreed that these results were for the benefit of our own individual reflection and personal growth, and not for placing any sort of value judgments on ourselves or anybody else. When we did finally get together to chat about the results from our surveys, one of my first questions for Heather was about her interest in exploring this topic and what she was looking to get out of this kind of data.
1: Well, I think, uh, and I can only come from a personal standpoint. So yes. Yes. looking at the, the predictors that I've already kind of been, been chewing on and playing with are the ideas of, am I gathering with the right people? When we gather with people in the context of different purpose, right? We're seeking and looking for a different need or want, whether that's what we're bringing to belong or what that we're receiving in order to feel that same sense of purpose and belonging. And so, okay, well, what, what of these factors do, what, what factors do I need to gather to know that I am meeting with purpose with the right people? I want to define that and look at that and kind of gather information towards that. Um, And then along with that, that also means me having to take a hard look at myself and be like, okay, well, what people am I getting right for? Yeah, for And I need to better define that.
0: Now, this led me to ask about this idea of gathering and where this interest for finding purpose in gathering came from, which ended up being its own really interesting topic with its own really interesting insights.
1: I was listening to a podcast Um, with Brene Brown, and she had this amazing author on there. Her entire life's work has been about the art of gathering, and I'm blanking on her name right now, but I'll look it up for you in a second. Okay. Priya Parker, I remembered, Priya Parker. And so I've been just for a couple of weeks now just digging into this idea, and it kind of came about as, as my own personal need of just looking at how we gather, like how I choose to gather with people and how differently that looks right now. Um, in my own personal life, and then what that looks like inside the context of school and how we're gathering right now, inside mm-hmm. of the context of how the heck my children get to hang out with other people right now, and looking at the idea of church and community and all mm-hmm. of these things that I'm like, well, these are still happening, but how are they happening, and why are they happening? So The Art of Gathering talks about the concept of, like, the invisible structures that are in place that help people to gather with a purpose. Whatever that set purpose is, it's just so simple to stay grounded in that purpose. And then looking at what different people take away from those gatherings. Because I fully accept that not everyone views the world the same way that I do. Not everyone has the same needs that I do. But the understanding that we all gather with a common purpose, and then what people take away from that is theirs to, is theirs to take, or is theirs to give also, what they bring to the table.
0: Now, when we did get into our personality trait results, it didn't surprise us to find that on the big five personality test, we both had our top three traits be in this same order. Openness as our highest trait by a long shot, extraversion as second, and agreeableness as a close third. Now, conscientiousness and neuroticism were different between the two of us, but both were pretty close behind our, the third trait, agreeableness, And it was when we looked at the Enneagram and Myers-Briggs that we noticed that the kinds of descriptors that defined those other two assessments aligned pretty closely to how we were being depicted by the big five personality traits. For example, my own Myers-Briggs type was primarily ENTP, which is described by the Truity website as an inspired innovator. And the Enneagram test had me as what's called a five and describes this type as alert, insightful and curious, both of which aligns pretty well to the results from the big five personality test. So as Heather and I reflected on this self-assessment data together, I was happy to hear how she viewed these kinds of assessments and the data they provide her.
1: I love the concept of the toolbox, right? I look at these tests and I love that you gave me a new tool with the big five because I had never heard of it before. It's the idea of using these tools to help us understand ourselves more so that then we can manage and grow and change and adapt in wherever we choose to go and whatever we choose to do. Mm -hmm. Understanding of I get to define me, but these are tools to help me take a mirror to myself and see that aren't going through the filter of someone else. Cause other people can be a mirror for my, for my behaviors and my choices as well, Yeah, which has such great quality, but I don't want to define myself by other people. I don't want to define myself by um, social constructs. I want to define myself based on the tools that I choose to use that are meaningful and beneficial to me. My, my whole thing as an educator is I'm here to teach students about themselves and give tools they need to learn about who they are and what they need and what they want and then how to pursue. I understand that these kids just get shoved into a school. It's a neighborhood school. It's a school they pick, whatever. But why can't the culture of the school be flexible to who we are including in it? It's so important. Because again, the understanding of, yes, I want you to fit into a society. I have no idea what that society is gonna look like when you're 20 years old, but we're trying to plan towards a society that you'll fit into based on the skills and the habits and behaviors that you're able to hold inside of yourself and participate with.
0: Now, Heather and I talked more about these traits and their impact on the larger outer layers of who we are and how we learn. And I'd like to, again, stress this connection between personality traits and the outer layers of this framework, because as we explore what it is that makes us who we are, it becomes readily apparent that who we are plays a role in how we interact with others, how we form groups, how we make rules and decisions that impact others in ways that may spark a response we didn't expect. And that all comes back to our understanding of ourselves as people. And this is definitely true of a school setting because its sole purpose as a school is entirely rooted in the gathering of people, but especially a gathering for the purpose of self-improvement, of learning. And I said this in the last episode that learning is change. So the more we understand about how we learn, the more we understand about how we can change, as individuals, and how we can change as groups, and this knowledge about who we are at our core, if we were to teach this knowledge to children and create a learning environment that is adaptive to their development as people, that it could be a game changer for education, which is a topic that Heather and I talked about toward the end of our conversation. We ended up talking about the words, what, why, and how, in context of the idea that If we're expecting our students to be adaptable in their ability to learn and grow in this world, if that's our what, then a conversation must be had about why schools must then be made to be adaptive to the developing needs of our students and their families, so that they can learn to be the adaptable people we're expecting them to become. It was all part of this idea that I I shared with Heather for a self-directed schooling environment. And Heather had some powerful thoughts about this idea.
1: And uh, my heart hurts when I look at this idea, because this ideal is so fantastic. Like the understanding of you expect kids to adapt, be flexible, persevere all of these things, but yet we do not have a system in place that teaches them how to do that. We have teachers who bend over backwards half the time to teach kids how to do things to show them in real life construct as well as in the classroom. This is what all of these qualities look like. But the system needs to be adapted to be that same thing. The same thing that teachers are generating inside of the microcosm of a lesson, a classroom, an event that we're throwing. Those things are functioning. Those things are beautiful and, and creating culture inside of gatherings constantly, but what do we need to do as a society to update the invisible structures that are around us to move that into the centerpiece we want to put students first we want them at the center of what we're doing but how do we allow them to be autonomous human beings for each individual we you know we throw the word autonomy around all the time as the idea of well you get to be you i was like yes but that's not cookie cutter like
0: everyone's well, And we want them to be themselves in context of the social groups that they find themselves in. So they have to be adaptable to what everyone else is individually trying to become. And when you
1: become an adult, you get to pick like right now I'm struggling through like I get to pick my friend group. I get to pick the church I go to. I got all these choices and half the time I don't know what to do with myself because I have been told this is the mold of the school this is the mold of what it looks like for your family. This is what adapt, 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 adapt. I'm really good at that. What I'm not great at as a person is is going, I get to build this myself. I get to make all the choices as to who I include and who I don't, what I choose to do and what I don't with my free time, with my work time. It's overwhelming. I can only imagine how the students feel.
0: Heather got me thinking about a conversation I had with a number of different educators and professionals about the power of what, why, and how. The what being crucial for identifying a specific goal, the why giving context for that goal, and the how being the particular approach for meeting that goal. And so I asked Heather about this idea, about this what, this goal of changing school to be more adaptive to its students and families who were hoping they will become adaptable humans that can cope with whatever comes in their future. Well, I ask Heather about this and how often she thinks teachers talk about this idea of what, why, and how with each other, but more importantly with their students, whether we are helping them to discover their own why for becoming the kind of lifelong learners that will serve them well in their future.
1: Well, I, I love this because, no, I feel like we tell them a lot. We tell them a lot of things. We show them and we tell them a lot of things. But asking that genuine question, why are you in art class today? And given the way that we are having to meet right now, my students don't have to show up to art class. They choose to. They elect to. And ask that question of why are you here right now? Whatever your why is, it might be 12 different whys from all of the kids, like the 12 kids that show up, right? Yeah. But whatever your why is, that's where the individualized self directed learning takes place. Thank you. Why are you here? I want to learn origami today. Yes, let's do it. Why are you here? I missed you. Great. Let's connect. Yeah. Whatever it might be.
0: Heather Abreu is teaching in Denver, Colorado with her two girls in a community where she is valued by many. It was great to talk with her about her perspective and approach as an educator. And it's always a great experience talking with educators who were doing so much to make the kinds of changes that will benefit young humans moving forward. But we can't presume that just because these teachers are working to implement the kinds of change, working to make this kind of bottom-up change happen, that there must somehow be top-down support by administrators and the families informing that school's leadership as to what they want that school to be. The kind of bottom-up change that teachers are ready and willing to enact requires constant and open lines of communication and ongoing reflection at all levels of a school, as well as its community. And as I bring this episode to a close, I want to take this moment to really highlight the idea I introduced at the start of this second season the idea of capturing a rainbow, because the personality trait theory I discussed in this episode is not solely by itself a means for making meaningful change to education. The topics and all of the people throughout this second season are all part of an environment that ultimately shares in the responsibility for that metaphorical rainbow. The question to ask is not how this episode answers all our questions about who we are and how we learn, but how the ideas presented connect with the ideas in the other episodes to help us understand ourselves as individuals, as part of larger communities that might be helpful to improving you as a person and your various communities, both big and small, locally and globally. So I hope you're enjoying this second season, and I thank you for listening. Talk to you next time.